Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Veracity Networks, and my good friend, Drew Peterson. Thank you for believing in me. And a shout out to all of you that tune in week after week. I love you guys. I hope you know that. This is, um, I get emotional because it just blows me away of the responses and these amazing guests I keep having reach out and come on and and their vulnerability have saved lives. I, I truly have. I, if you guys knew how many people have reached out and said, you know, because of so and so, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna keep on living. And so, this has just been amazing, amazing ride. And and I I want to thank all the previous guests. I love you guys. And today's gonna be no different. We have an amazing man today. His name's Mark Pepper. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Todd. Nice to be here. Yeah, thanks. thank and you. Thanks to your listeners. Yeah, nice. no, and I can't Appreciate wait for that. them to hear hear your story. So just a little bit on Mark Pepper. He's, he's married as a father of two amazing children. Uh, he's been a licensed clinical medical health counselor for 15 years. Mental health counselor. Did I say it wrong? You said medical health, but I, you know. <laughs> See, I told they, you we, we crossed those up. boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. So mental health. Sorry. You've been clean and sober from all mind altering substances uh, for 18 years, uh, which uh, congratulations on that. That's amazing. Uh, uh, it says here you lost your father a little while ago, and I'm yeah. sorry for your loss Thank there. You. And it's kind of an interesting part of the story. Yeah, that, we'll talk about that. Yeah. I know that. And then you work for a nonprofit assisting justice involved folks reentering society with skills and support. Well, that's a beautiful thing. Thanks. And then you've worked in the substance use treatment industry for the past 17 years. Yep. So wow, it's been lot, quite a journey. Quite a journey, a lot of experience. Yeah, and I can't wait for people to hear your amazing story. Well, thank you. So why don't why don't we start with you know where did you grow up and tell us a little bit about your childhood? Okay. Um, well, I grew up kind of close to here actually. I grew up in Olympus Hills. Oh yeah. Um, Beautiful area. I, um, I'm adopted. Okay. So I was adopted by uh, my parents, who I have an older sister and a younger sister that are both biological kids of my parents. Okay. So I'm in the middle. I'm the boy and um, was raised Jewish. Okay. Grew up as a Jewish kid in Salt Lake City. <laughs> How was that? Which was interesting culturally. Oh, yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of confusion about what Judaism is, even amongst us Jews. Okay. So um, it was interesting. I got some resentments against the Mormon church that I've worked on and that are right. have worked through. But I, um, I had an interesting childhood with that because I was really quite a religious kid. So you were really dedicated. Dedicated. Yeah. I went to went to Sunday school. I went to Hebrew school. I had a bar mitzvah. I oh, sort wow. of did the whole thing. It was really, yeah. really quite a nice time of my life. Um, grew up. I, I was kind of a, a little behavior problem kid. Okay. Um, I, they, they didn't have ADD in the se- early 70s. It wasn't really a diagnosis. Um, but I would be have been considered that for sure. I... I uh, I was pretty smart back then. I'm not, I've killed some brain cells, but I, <laughs> I was a smart kid. So I'd finish my schoolwork and then I was bored and I would goof around. Just get into trouble. A little bit so of trouble. Speak, yeah. Elementary school, okay. junior high. Um, we moved at, in my sixth grade. I moved to uh, the Avenues area. And uh, shortly thereafter, I discovered alcohol and drugs, so like sixth, seventh grade. So pretty young. Pretty young, and yeah. there's a there's a story behind that that is, may or may not be relevant, but to me it was sort of the focus of my drinking. So my um, my parents, as a troubled kid, I was sent to therapy. Right. 
and I saw this psychiatrist for probably four or five years on and off. And the best part of that was that on Tuesdays I got to miss a little bit of school. <laughs> right. You're like, well, at least um, I don't have to go to school. Right. right until yeah. 10 or whatever time it was. But <laughs> yeah. my mom would take me and uh, it turns out she ended up marrying that guy. She had a, hmm. a fling with him and uh, my parents got divorced and then he got divorced and then he moved into our lives. How was, was that? It was that horrible. Been, yeah, I can imagine how tough that um, would have been. And, I, you know, it's interesting because sometimes I think he might listen or, or my mom might listen. And neither of them have owned that to this point, And this is 50 years later. Yeah. And I, I know the story. So, but I also had a story that it was about me and that I was, uh, I caused some of that, which I've come to see I'm not, really, that's not true. But that's, so, but that's what you were telling yourself back then, kind of like back then, almost until yeah. my, I was forty. Really, like it's a story I wow. had for a long time, wow. and, and so part of what I've learned as an adult is like the events aren't really changing, but the story can change. Okay, which has helped me in my recovery a lot. Great. So he, my my mom marries him, and really shortly thereafter, I start drinking. So I'm about eleven or twelve, pretty pretty young. Yeah, that's young. And I would get alcohol whenever I could. Started smoking marijuana every day. And so junior high, entering into early high school, was I was a, a alcohol. I liked alcohol and drugs. Yeah, I liked. Did uh, your mom and and him know that you were doing all this? They caught me a couple times, okay. and there were pretty heavy-handed consequences. And uh, at fifteen, I I ran away. I moved out. I actually moved to Florida for a minute. Really. And, um, wow. <laughs> which is kind of a funny story, That's but a I, gutsy move. I had a buddy in Florida who had just moved. <laughs> Uh-huh. And was working with his brother and said, come on out. And I went on out. And shortly thereafter, like days after that, my dad's like, what are you doing, dude? Right. Get, get back home and you can live with, with your grandparents while I build the rest of my house out for you. Okay. Because it was, he had a one bedroom condo that he, the basement was unfinished. So he did that. Um, but I, I never really stopped drinking and taking drugs in that period of time. And oh was checked out. I, I was athletic in, in high school, played sports, uh, was a really smart kid, got really good grades, and was drunk or high pretty much every day. Wow. So that came easily to me, the, the education piece. Um, responsibility, maturity came very slow. So right. I, I sort of thought I could get by on brain power mm. and alcohol. Yeah. And sort of did for a while. Yeah. Um, I left. I went to college. I went to, I got accepted to some really nice prestigious schools. Got accepted to Stanford. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Got a a scholarship to University of Queensland in Australia. And I I didn't tell any, either of my parents that I was doing this stuff. I just applied to schools on my own and um, was kind of quiet about my life. I was, I was already, the shame was already coming in about, the alcohol and drug use. Well, that's what I wanted to jump back just a little bit. You know, you're going through this. You run away. You do all this stuff. And again, were you were you depressed? Were you struggling with like yeah. who you were? That kind of kind thing? of that. And and really targeting my mom and stepfather for right. all of my problems. Yeah. Turns out, I have two sisters that aren't alcoholic and drug addicts. Didn't run away. Didn't sabotage their you know their education. Well, what I have found, and I'm sure you can relate with this and understand this, that when when we resent someone or th- something, we rebel. For sure. Right? So 
you know, that's until I know how to do something different. Exactly. So that's kind of what I hear you were doing. Right. Right. And I was kind of doing what I thought I, like it made sense to me. I mean, this beautiful 16, 17, 18 year old brain. Yeah. And you pour alcohol on it and I'm making some real bad decisions. Yeah. Right. right. (laughs) Um, So interesting. You ask about depression because I, so I, I ended up going to the university of Oregon in Eugene and uh, discovered depression. And I say discovered because I think as I look back on it, it was uh, it was a feeling I really settled into. Okay. Um, to say I liked it might be a little uh, out there, but I was really comfortable in a self-piteous, depressed state. Wow. And from 18 till about 40, I, I was pretty severely, could have been clinically depressed. Yeah. And I was medicating and treating that with alcohol and, and mostly cocaine and hallucinogens. So not really a good medication for depression. No. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that they went hand in hand. I yeah. didn't know which came first. Am I depressed because I drink so much? Or do I drink so much because I'm depressed? Yeah. It was a bit of a conflict in my gotcha. brain. Um, so I, I moved a lot in my 20s. I, I did a lot of geographic changes thinking uh, by the time I was 21, I was looking to get a, a, like I needed to stop drinking. I knew I had a problem. I knew I had a problem before that but it started impacting some relationships in my early 20s. And I, yeah. I, I'd moved to the University of Colorado, transferred to Boulder, Colorado, um, based on an article in Playboy that said that they were the number one party school in the country. Are you serious? In That's 1982. Why? And so I made a, a beautiful decision all by myself with my beautiful brain. You should go to the biggest party school in well, the country. I keep hearing, you did this a lot. You just made your, like when you ran ran, yeah. ran away to Florida, you just really made up your mind. consult a grown like, up. I'm, I'm going. Right. No one's going to tell me what to do. Rather impulsive. Right, yeah, it sounds like that. For sure. Again, like I drank and used, sort of impulsively. Right. Um, so I, I lived really a crazy life in Boulder with lots of drugs and alcohol and ended up moving to England to get sober which didn't last more than two or three days, back to Boulder, to San Francisco, to so, so why did you go out there? Just Did you feel like this would be a way to just kind of get away from your environment? I wanted to stop drinking. I mean, I really could see the problem of alcohol and drugs, and mm-hmm. I couldn't see that it was my problem. I saw it as my environment, mm. that I lived yeah. in a fraternity house with 65 other guys yeah. that partied like I did. And I needed. I felt if I moved, then that would be fine. Yeah. I could just get away from these guys. And, uh, you know, s- sort of the, the saying, in recur- like everywhere I went, there I was. Yeah. I kept following myself around. And turns out I the problem is in me. And um, I didn't know that for years after this. So I, I got sober at 39. Okay. So long my, t- long my, my late 20s, mid to late 20s and 30s were really dark. Um, there's not a lot of important events going on, just a lot of dark alcoholism and drug addiction and, uh, turned to homelessness and panhandling. And, uh, I've I've lived a pretty dark, the bottom was pretty dark. So how, how long after you, so you went to Colorado, how long after that did you become homeless? Like 17 years. So there's a, there's a marriage in there. There's a, a really crazy life for a period of time in there with heightened drug use, if that was even possible. Yeah. Um, and just sort of getting by. I, I um, stole a lot, a lot of mm-hmm. money, mm-hmm. so I could pay right. for my habit. I didn't yeah. have a work ethic or didn't work much. 
my little periods of sobriety, I would really struggle. Like I had more of a sober problem than an alcohol problem. Gotcha. Yeah. Me separated from alcohol for three or four days is a real rough spot. Yeah. Without a solution. Right. Right. I didn't know any other way. I, um, I thought alcohol was the problem. I thought cocaine was the problem. I thought my mom was the problem. I thought you were the problem. Like, yeah, I, that that victim stance is the killer, isn't it? It's killer, and it's you know I I'm, I've come to see that I was willing to believe some things that aren't true to the point where I would have taken my life. Really, and I think that about us alcoholics and addicts, like we believe I'm willing to believe some really dark, untrue right. stuff. Like mm-hmm. I'm not good enough. Yeah, I'm unworthy. Nobody could love me. Um, I've wasted my life. Just a lot of real core beliefs I had at 39. Yeah. Like I, at the time I thought I was old and now I'm 57 and don't think I'm old. So (laughs) it's just perspective. It is, it is, isn't it? And, and recovery has been like the greatest thing. Getting sober has been the single greatest event in my life. Wow. So obviously you have that dark period you just talked about. Yeah, and, and it's kind of uneventful. It's, you know, uh, it just the a, woman I married, had a, her family had a great deal of money, my first wife. And we, you know, we lived up next to Carl Malone up in the avenue, like a beautiful, oh, yeah. huge house and bought cars with cash and bought a home with cash. Like it was a different lifestyle and I was really sad. And um, so I've come to understand for me that money is not the, the key to happiness. It's happiness is yeah you know and I love that I, I want to make this point to our listeners too and I love that you just said that because I think you know I always ask like clients what's the definition of success and you get all kinds of answers sure. right? a thousand and they're all good you know but the real true definition should be waking up in a good mood right because here you are paying cash for the house cards you got it all it seems like right, right. from the outside oh, like, yeah. man I'd like to be Mark but here you are miserable and miserable to a point of like real suicidality yeah. of most of my days were consumed with wanting to end my life. Wow. For 12 years, 13, like a long time. Wow. And uh, in, in between that time were some treatment stints, yeah. uh, residential treatment, outpatient, uh, psychiatric hospital stays. Wow. I got committed to a psychiatric hospital in Minnesota for really? 40 some days. Uh, came out of a blackout in a hospital in Minnesota. Man. I, last thing I remembered, I was in Evanston, Wyoming, and I drove to Minneapolis and was on a, you know, kind of contained on a bed so I wouldn't hurt myself. Wow. So, did so you, kind of some crazy stuff. Like yeah. as I tell this now, like wow. my brain's, I, I don't suffer from any of this stuff now. It's amazing. And it's quite a story as I, you know, it's hard to, as I sit here today, like connecting the dots from that human being to this is quite a quite a route right it's it's not a straight line of like well here you are (laughs) looks like it's just been this nice easy ride did your family know that you were going through all this that you were going into you know psychiatric wards and detox and i think my sisters found out i was in a psychiatric ward when i did my first podcast oh really like four months ago i don't here we are again right and i don't but i it's it's um you know, I can kind of laugh about that now because yeah. it's it's a part of my story. Yeah, I, I don't think my family ever thinks that's cute or funny. Yeah, or me going to jail is never a funny thing to them. My story to me now is kind of funny about my yeah. DUI. Not really funny, but the the events in jail were kind of silly. Never to my family. 
They just don't see it like, you know, and in recovery, we kind of laugh at our stories because they're so heavy and it gives us some levity and some some perspective as well. Like I lived through a lot of stuff that I may not have, it's hard to imagine sitting here. Yeah. Um, So uh, sort of the end of the drinking was, was not, I was homeless in 99 into 2000, right at the, the turn of the millennium. And I went into my last treatment center on the 20th of January of 2000. Okay. And I, I didn't get sober for another year and a half. Well, so. talk, talk a little bit more about being homeless because I don't want to just gloss over that. Yeah, not that you're trying right. to, no. but I think, man, I, I want our listeners to, what was that experience like? Because talk about, I mean, the depths of despair. Yeah. You got nothing. Not, well, I had a car, so I actually did live in my car at Pioneer Seeing Park. that, that's even almost feels even more depressing, right? Right. <laughs> right. Um, it's like, wow. Yeah, and I was the guy that um, I looked down my nose at other people mm-hmm. that uh, like people would be going to work or they'd be running in the morning, and I was resentful of them. Mm. and I thought they were like losers or some, you know, I'm sitting on this high horse, like at the bottom of the gutter. Wow. And, uh, probably your way to try to make yourself feel better. I guess, I guess. And I, I didn't, it didn't work. (laughs) I didn't feel better. Um, but I ended up, I I had a little apartment and I decided to move into this apartment right before I went homeless because my cocaine dealer lived across the street. Mm. I could just see if his truck was home, I could go get. Yeah. Um, so I, pr- I had money for drugs and alcohol still, but not for rent. So my priorities had shifted yeah. to really, for me, understanding the seriousness of the disease of alcoholism and addiction that my brain, uh, I'm pretty reasonably sharp guy. Like my yeah. brain said, your car will be fine in the months of November, December, and January in Salt Lake. It's cold. Yeah. Very to, cold. As long as I can still get drugs and alcohol, which is, was my really, my survival was, I needed that more than yeah. I needed housing, wow. more than I needed food. Um, air just happened to come, or I probably would have opted to not breathe t- yeah. if I could do drugs and drink. Yeah, it tells you how, how deep and caught into that you were. It's wow. amazing, you know, and it's so I know as I treat alcoholics and drug addicts or, or befriend them or, or, you know, work with them, like, yeah. we've got a real, real serious illness. Yeah, It's not a moral discussion it's not a you know ethical discussion like it's a disease that grips us so hard yeah that um you know my current job working with people getting out of prison like even the consequences of spending nine years in prison like i've got to use and drink wow and so um i i just i'm aware of the severity of of this disease Mm -hmm. that it is uh it's out to kill me It'll settle for me drunk, but it probably wants me dead. For sure. And um, I'm yeah. so glad I didn't kill myself. You know, yeah, and, and I'm glad you didn't either. Thanks. Because look at all the good you're doing now. I really I really believe this, Mark, and some people might not agree, but I, I think life happens for us, not to us. Yep. And I think addiction is your wake-up call to your greatness. And you went through all of this, and yeah, luckily you're here. Yep. But look what you get to do now because now people you get to relate with people who are in that same boat now and you're actually helping people showing them the way yeah i mean that to me is greatness it it feels like it and it feels like 
it's sort of a natural flow for me in recovery. Like I really yeah. love being a sober guy. Yeah. And I, um, <laughs> I try to be careful not to wave the flag too, too loudly, but I do want people to know that there's help available. Yeah. That in the depths of the darkest despair, like I could not imagine any sort of sunlight in my life. It yeah. was so dark for a long time. And now I don't ever really experience darkness. And my brain kind of wants to go there, but I've yeah. I've got some tools now to, to sort of get a reality check of right. uh, like your perspective is so important. But I, I do think there the, the feeling of hopelessness is almost a universal feeling that alcoholics and addicts have. And I'd say for a long time yeah. we experienced that. But I, I do, nobody's too sick to get well. Mm-hmm. nobody's too far gone alcoholically or drug addicted to recover. Yeah. And I, I believe that because if I can get sober, so can that yeah, guy. Anyone can. Yeah. And there's people that have had a much harder time than me, although I, I do remember how hard it was. Yeah. Um, you know, five treatment centers, probably 2,000 AA meetings before I got sober. Wow. Well, I want to talk about that too because what led to you finally going, okay, I really want to start working on this. I need to make a change or I am going to be dead. Talk about that transition. You know, you, yeah. you know, you're homeless in a car, that kind of thing, and kind of take it from there. So homeless in the car, I, I ended up going to the Haven, which is a county-funded yeah. uh, sort of bottom-of-the-barrel treatment center in Salt Lake that turned out to be – I loved it. I really loved yeah. it. And at that place, I was introduced to AA. Mm-hmm. There's um, like five meetings there, and then they go to two or three others a week. So there's six or seven AA meetings. Right. And I was much more actively introduced to the to that program. I'd known of it. I'd gone to meetings. How'd you find the Haven? Was it recommended through yeah, jail? Yeah, I was. Or? This is kind of cute. So I was living in my car, and a, a buddy of mine that I'd had asked to sponsor me previously, I'd met him in AA. Right. Was working at the VOA Detox. And he said, just come over and we'll talk. And he's showing me the mattresses on the floor. He's like, dude, you need to come and detox. Like, you can't stop drinking. Right. I said, I, I'm not living uh, like like these losers, right? Yeah, I'm better than I'm this. living over here at the park. Like, I'm in my it's, car. <laughs> it's amazing to think of that. that yeah. he had, he's like, what's, you want to stop drinking? I'm like, well, I've always wanted to stop. I don't think I can. Yeah. It's probably my lot in life. And it, the bar just kept getting lower, right? Like, wow, yeah. Um, I grew up in Olympus Hills and Federal Heights, and I'm living at the park. Like, I, I, I came from some resources and some opportunities for sure. And I didn't get sober at this point. So I went to the Haven. I ended up using in the Haven and staying. That I got away with it for about 30 days. Mm. Graduated 89 days in the Haven and sometime in May, I think you know, most likely to stay sober. I, I just knew the right things to say. I'd been in treatment enough. I've been in therapy enough. I knew how to, you know, schmooze. Yeah. And it really never served me. Like it, just the manipulation and the ability to do that. For sure. I didn't know that's what I was doing because it felt like a survival skill. Like I wanted people to like me so badly. Mm. And I wanted some hope so badly. Um, so... I get out of there, I'm drinking and using, and I'm, it's just getting worse again. And I, I made a decision to go to a two-year treatment program in Prescott, Arizona. And uh, I arranged for that. I told the woman I, uh, whose home I was living in I was going to move out. 
and then as this had happened over my life too, I met a woman and I was like, oh, I don't need rehab. I've got a- I just need to be in a relationship. I just need right? a better woman. So um, <laughs> yeah. she had a little five-year-old daughter and so you know that took off, of course. Right. And I didn't need treatment. I didn't need help. I could sneak, sneak around her, right? Yeah. The next victim. Um, and it turns out shortly after we started dating that she, we got pregnant. And we started dating in like August of 01. And she got pregnant in February or March. Okay. So I remember her telling me that she was pregnant and we looked at each other. It's like, we don't really even like each other. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Um, I'm quite a bit older than she is. She had a, like a career. I was not, I did not. Um, I'm lying about being sober. I'm lying yeah, about right. taking her kid around and, you know. And so um, on October 9th, the day before I got sober, she left with her belly, with our son, seven months pregnant, and that sweet little six-year-old. Oh, wow. So um, and simultane- right around that time, my dad had told me that he was done, like he knew what the gig was, and he's changing his locks if I come around. Yeah. Um, there's going to be consequent. Like he, I wasn't welcome, and my sisters had s- sort of gotten to that point, and my mom was at that point, and yeah. it really, uh, it was a Wednesday, and I, she, I could re- remember her car rolling out of the driveway, and I, um, I went to an AA meeting that night. I went wow. to the Foothill meeting that I'd gone to a lot. Sure, and I just thought it'd be another day of sadness and poor me and all that. And mm-hmm. I, I woke up Thursday, and that I that's my sober day. It was the next day, so I don't. When you here's why I tell that because you yeah. asked like what you know when did you sort of decide to do? I didn't really just like that's life happening for me, right? Yeah, like the uni- uh, I, the I really wanted to be a dad. And I love, I've always loved kids and they seem to like me. Kids and dogs yeah. seem to like me. <laughs> Grownups, not so much. <laughs> right. Um, that's changed, I hope. Yeah, I'm, I know it but has. I, yeah. But I've, um, so I got sober and I, I had a sponsor and this was a Thursday and he's like, Friday, we're going to go to this Cocaine Anonymous uh, roundup. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to go, dude. Right. It's like the the speaker is a gangster from New York. He's a mobster and he's hysterical. Danny, somebody, and I'm like, oh, he's like, it's we're gonna go and have fun. I said, nothing's right. very fun. I'm not going. <laughs> he's like, good, I'll be there at five. But like a good sponsor. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. I'll pick you up. <laughs> um, so I started working with him and I worked all twelve steps with him in a matter of a month and a half or two, pretty quickly to the yeah. best of my ability. Sure. And my wife came back. And we weren't married at the time, but she came back. And she's the mother of both of my kids. And so um, two months sober, that, that little dude was born. Right, wow. And um, unbelievable. Yeah. I got to be present for that. And I had never been, like, I just was yeah. so irresponsible. I mean, it's been years since, you know. I've done anything like right. show up. So... He's born, and um, and he and I have got quite a deal going. We've got a sweet relationship. That's awesome. He's, he's really quite, How old is he now? He's 18. 18. He's two months 18. younger than I am wow. in my recovery. Well, yeah, like you said, you're, yeah, you're 18 years clean. That's amazing. So 
so she comes back and we start sort of this family and it's lovely for me. It's just beautiful. And I, I, um, I get an offered a job from a guy in the program. And uh, so I was selling hearing aids, um, door to door, rough, rough business. Oh, but I, I bet that was rough. Um, and I ended up, so I'd always stolen, like that was as much an addiction as the drugs and alcohol. And yeah. I didn't stop stealing when I got sober and I mm. got my only felonies convictions were sober really I was about 10 months sober when I got caught and I had to was, book, book myself into jail into Davis County um, and but, but you've been stealing the whole time through all your addiction right for sure I mean mostly from my dad yeah and my family and okay but every store I kept into, that going I mean that's an interesting thing it's kind of Don't interesting and I tell that story because I th- I know I'm not alone in that, you guys. I know that that <laughs> yeah. I've had people tell me like, "Man, I got to stop stealing. Like, I'm probably going to get caught." And you know, for me, recovery is about this freedom. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to be that. free from, for sure, the drugs and alcohol, but from looking over my shoulder, or wondering if I can get out the door without getting caught. Yeah. Or wondering if my wife's going to catch me in a lie. Like it, the freedom is like you yeah. know one of the questions that I was asked, and I would ask you guys like, "How free do you want to be?" Yeah, and I want it all. I want all the freedom in the world. For I want to sure. be. Uh, I want to do freedom, meaning you don't have to look over your shoulder, going, "Am I going to get busted?" Right? Am Can I... I walk out of the store without someone running me down? Exactly. So it was a pretty seminal event for me. It was really, it was a, a really. Uh, thank God that happened. Right? Yeah, that was important sure. to happen. I've, I've stopped stealing. And that early sobriety was so magical for me. My first five years were. I think almost every day I thought, this I think is the greatest day of my whole life. I, I was on fire with recovery wow. and being a dad yeah. and I'd started grad school. I'd gotten a job. So that same guy that worked at VOA that had asked me if I was humble enough to come and yeah. get better. Yeah, lay on these mattresses. Not me, man. Oh, no, yeah. Um, had started a treatment center and he said, do you want to come and do a rec group? And I was maybe a year sober. I said, sure. I said, it's once a week, Wednesdays. I'm like, that's about my work schedule. Yeah. That for sure fits into my <laughs> one day a week. I you think bet, I can pal. do it, you yeah. Bet. So um, that was a Wednesday rec group. And Thursday he called and said, "We've our house manager used. Do you want to be a house manager? And I said, what does that mean? He's like, well, you cook and then you fix stuff if it's broken. I said, well, I don't know how to cook and I don't know how to fix things. He's like, great, so show up at 7. <laughs> You're hired. Which is great, right? Like that's, yeah. And I, love um, it. I worked at that treatment center for about three and a half years and, and got prompted to go to grad school and wow. get my, my master's degree in, in mental, health, mental health counseling. I'd like to do mental, medical health counseling, as you said, but. Yeah, see, I knew. I was right. just projecting. Um, <laughs> so those, those first years, like I went to an AA meeting every day, I had young children, I worked full time. Yeah. And I was a family guy. And I, I have people say, well, I don't really have time for a meeting. And I, to me, it's like if you have whatever's important, you'll do. comes down to priorities, right? Priorities and, and, and also and, desperate. Like I really don't want to drink again. I yeah. really, I, I'm done drinking. Like I've had my last drink. But I need to do stuff to maintain that condition. Yeah, well, I think what I'm hearing too, Mark, correct me if I'm wrong. But you you have these things now in your life that that you want right. family, you feel the freedom you were just talking about, which was very well said. And it comes down to that motivational piece. Like, 
Like when I, I have clients that will show up to group late here at Wasatch, right. and I'll say, if I paid you $1,000 to be here on time every day, would you do it? And they're like, oh, yeah. See, it all comes down to what do you really want? Here? Right. And what I'm hearing, Mark, correct me, you started wanting this good stuff finally. Right. Right. Well, I th- and, and even further along that line for me is I needed, and this is a lot of the work I do, is sort of this, like, what, what gives me purpose and value and yeah. meaning? As a human being, as a man, as a sober man, as a dad, as a son, as a worker. And um, in grad school, I got to focus on sort of the existential piece of like, what do you, what's your meaning? What is your purpose? Yeah. And uh, so far, it seems like this is my purpose and I'm open to change. Yeah. That's part of the freedom, right? I don't want to be stuck in. I worked in rehab for a long time, and I, I, I'm not currently. I, I sort of thought I would until I retired, and so I got a new opportunity, and I want to just be open. Yeah. I think there's a, a lot of ways to help people for and sure. to, to grow. So you do this rec class, though. Is that when you were kind of like, man, I, I really want to rub shoulders with this community? and Well, and I work? was in AA specifically, and then this right. guy, and you don't get paid in AA, thank right. goodness. So this right. guy's like, we'll give you, I was probably nine bucks an hour. Right, yeah. Which was nine bucks an hour more than the zero I was making. <laughs> um, right. I still had this felony stuff kind of chasing me down yeah. and was um, concerned about what I could do with my life with felonies. Mm-hmm. And so I, I went to work and his brother, he and his brother own the facility. And it's a well-known treatment center here. And he, um, his brother was the therapist. Okay. And I had partied with this guy quite a bit really? before. And I'm like, so he's, that guy's making 40 bucks an hour and I'm making 11 bucks. Yeah. And there was sort of that interesting, the, the money yeah. and sort of the, the effectiveness. And I wanted to be a professional. Like, a, and I'm 40, 41 years old. Yeah. I, again, thinking I might be too old, but I, the people around me were like, well, you're going to be 44 at some point. What if you're 44 with a master's degree? Oh, I love that. Like, or do you want to then say, well, now I'm too old and be old? Yeah. And I, again, I, I don't think we're ever too old if we think that. Right. And if I think I'm too old, I probably am. And if I don't think I am, I'm probably not. Yeah, I love and that. And there's a lot of power in that. Oh, yeah. So love that it. facility was great. I had a great time there. I really had a good time. And I, um, I've, I've been able, I've worked at, I've opened a couple treatment centers. I've, I've been the initial clinical director at some treatment centers, and I've been a line staff, and I've been a director of outpatient. You know, I've really had a nice. You've been the fixer-upper guy. Well, s- sort yeah, of. I've, right? I might have been the not fixer-upper guy too. I don't. One of the things that really is nice for me that I've learned in my recovery. So, that first job, uh, yeah. those guys were friends, and I'd, I'd gotten a review on a Friday, a really nice review, and a bit of a raise. And then Monday I was let go. Oh, wow. And I was a little confused, but I thanked them. In the moment, I thanked them for this opportunity, which to me is my recovery in action. Yeah. I ended up going back to work for them. Yeah. So there's been two facilities where I have been fired from that rehired me. And I mm. say that because what I wanted to tell these guys to do was to go F themselves, right? Like they fired me and don't <laughs> they know who I am? Yeah. Or how do I not fit into your plans? Or, yeah. Um, but I, I somehow was able to thank them for this opportunity, and I knew that other doors would open. All of the men around me were like, congratulations, you got fired. 
It's like, you know, you don't understand. I got little kids and yeah. they're like, no, something really amazing is about to happen. Really? Nobody was like, oh, that's too bad, Mark. No, I didn't have, I don't have those people around me. They're like, the, when life ha- like this life is happening for, for you. you. Yeah, I love it. You can't see that. The universe can. Yep. Just love buckle it. up, dude. Something amazing. And it continues <laughs> to happen. Yeah. So here I am on a Thursday with you. Like it led to, like it's I all know. of this. Isn't that crazy? So I'm, you know, again, I want to stay love open it. and I want to yeah, stay sure. helpful. And I want to just touch a little bit on um, please, yeah. some family stuff. So yeah, please. Uh, I've got a really loving two sisters and my dad. And my dad passed in, in the end of November, right before Thanksgiving. And yeah. Sorry to um, hear that. You know, and it, it's interesting. So the last podcast I was at on, they started it with like, what's new and good? What's new and good? And I said, my dad passed away. That's what's new and good. And I didn't plan on saying that, but it has been... Um, my recovery was probably one of the neatest things that ever happened to my dad. Wow. That he got a sober son back. And I treat a lot of men, and I'm with a lot of men in AA and in recovery. Mm-hmm. And imagine being a sober son and a sober brother and a sober dad or uncle. And I've been able to gift my family my recovery, right? And it's not, it's... right. They, they benefit so much from my sobriety. My ex-wives, I have two of them, benefit greatly from my recovery. Yeah. Where both of them are happy I'm happily married. And they yeah. are, you know, I, I just have this, the, the, the recovery program is like, is, my sponsor said this beautiful thing to me at like nine months. He said, you know what happened to you, Pepper? He goes, you came into AA and then AA came into you. Ooh. Love and that. or you came into recovery and then recovery comes into you and it it becomes a lifestyle yeah. and it's um which includes like telling the truth yeah being not, helpful not stealing, not stealing. Uh, there's for sure a spiritual god component mm-hmm. that you know is so individual and personal it's it's amazing yeah, right and um I was with my dad when he took his last breath. I was like rubbing his face and kissing him and crying mm, and right. thanking him. Yeah. And my sister was there and my wife was there and it was about one in the morning and my kids showed up right after that. And um, there was some COVID restrictions on being in the room, but he had passed, so he was a pretty low COVID risk at that oh, point. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, <laughs> and my kids and I went in the room and he was laying there on the bed and he had just passed and um, three of us just like laughed and made fun of him and cried and you know really celebrate like he has changed all of our lives he's just the most beautiful man wow and what was his name Sanford Pepper Sanford Pepper and uh, was a big businessman in Utah was really well known as a businessman and Mostly was well known as a Utes fan. Like we're we're big. He's he's like Mr. Crimson Club, Mr. Oh, Donor, yeah. Mr. Ute. And, That's uh, cool. So we carry that flag proudly. And um, what I've learned from him was his generosity and his kindness. I hope, and I um, yeah. the bar is really high. Uh, he just helped so many people, including his kids and grandkids. But he, yeah, he was really anonymous with his. Uh, generosity he just did it because of the good of the good heart. to him yeah 
and he was raised that way and so I come from the you know interestingly sort of the genetic component of alcoholism is you know I've, I've, I've learned about my biological family mm-hmm. my mother was an alcoholic and, and it took her life as a drug addict and alcoholic and no one in my adopted family who I call my family there none of them are drug addicts or alcoholics just me and there's this thing that we're robbed of in our disease which is sort of this integrity and like integrity yeah i I don't know how to behave like a normal human being when i'm doing that stuff absolutely and i barely know how when i get sober because i practiced that life for so yeah so So for me being around other people that had drank and used like i did and then didn't anymore and had like we're good sons i wanted to meet dudes that were good sons because i really wanted to be a good kid to my dad for sure and I wanted to be a good uncle. I've got some, I got these four nieces that are just the best. Yeah. And uh, my sisters and I are really close and we've had a really good time since my dad passed. Yeah. Like the mourning and the grief has looked like joy and gratitude, which is amazing to me. It's amazing. I, like he, he was my very best friend and my hero and I thought I'd be sort of hysterical when he passed, and it hasn't been that. And I know I miss him. I want to call him. Sure, I call yeah. him every day. I like I had the great fortune of like rubbing his feet a lot and helping him in the shower, things that I would never think I would want to do for any human being. Right. And I relished when he asked me to come rub some balm on his feet, and I was like, I didn't. I you know I thought no. I said yes. And I'm doing that just crying, like, my God, I get to rub. Wow. Like, thank you, Dad, for letting me do this. Yeah. The wow. universe doing for me, right? Yeah. Because I'd it. never volunteer to rub my freaking old dad's feet, right? <laughs> yeah. They're gross. Yeah. Right. And so I don't always know what's best for me, right? Yeah. Which is why I've sort of been taught to say yes. Yeah. Someone asked for something. <laughs> I just want to be helpful. What I love to, what I'm hearing from you, Mark, is just your humility. Thanks. I mean, it's beautiful. It's really powerful. It's you know, it's it's making me a little bit emotional over here. Yeah. And I just, I love how you're just like, hey, I'm, I'll do what I need to do here. I'm, if another opportunity opens up that's good, I'll go in that direction. But I'm going to do the right thing here. I don't know. I just love just that. Thank you. And I just want to yeah. help people. I mean, I think yeah. of, so the guy that invited me to that cocaine anonymous thing yeah. is is the guy. My family would say that's the guy that saved Mark's life. So I think of that one man, and there were other men around and some women, but that took the time to help me recover. Yeah. And as a result of that, I I know I've been in a lot of people's lives in recovery. And so they helped one dude. Yeah. Me. And as a result, like if I could help one guy that wants to go, and I have, because I I sponsor guys that work in treatment centers that I know change lives. I'm sure you've helped more than just one. Right. But But your point. Like we which everyone is worth it. Like yeah. if, if you're listening and you're struggling, like I, I didn't imagine I could ever touch anyone's life other than like that guy. We don't ever want to see that guy again. Yeah. And, you know, some hope and, you know, we all have our own path. I don't, not everyone's going to do yeah. whatever, but everyone's worth it. Yeah. And I, I believe that in my, my version of like spirituality is like nobody is more deserving of God's love than anyone else. Yeah. Even the people I don't really like or get along with, like they're still children yeah. of God or of the universe. Like, yeah, sure. What if we just treated everybody 
as if I knew that you were having some struggles and you just needed a like a hello or a, a fist bump or a yeah. good morning or something yeah. simple. Yeah. Well, it reminds me. I think me of, we're all capable of that. For sure. And I love that you said that because that reminds me, just, it's compassion. It. And what does this world need more now than ever? When we look at what's going on, boy, don't we just need compassion more right. than anything? Especially for the people that we don't agree with. Yes. That's, yeah, that's what I'm like saying. It's easy for me to love my dudes. Yeah. And politically and culturally and all this other stuff. Like, that's who needs it the most. For me. Mm-hmm. I, I know when I'm compassionate, I don't even know if they benefit. I'm certain I do. Yeah. And when you are, when you have that feeling or that connection, you don't care what political affiliation right. they're in. You don't care what religion. You don't care. It's you even care if they went to BYU soul. or like BYU. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, that's a tough one to get over. I'm not, no, just kidding, BYU fans. Uh, right, I'm sure you're listening. And... <laughs> There's a few. Um but no, I, I so well said, Mark. I love I love this man. This is amazing. Thank you. I want to ask you, like you you said it briefly just a minute ago. I I know there's someone listening right now who is struggling. Yeah. And they are in a dark place. Um, they might feel like you know I'm a lost cause, kind of like what you felt. You're living in your car and you've been through all of this stuff, and you're just like, well, pfft, you know, thinking of killing yourself. What what could you tell them right now that might be able to help them, maybe wake up a little bit to yeah. the point where they can maybe get out of this you know darkness they're in. Yeah, and I'm really careful with that because yeah, I think, I like, think about your family. That doesn't really help. Yeah. Um, people love you. That doesn't really help. Right. My experience with people that are having a hard time, and it's hard to do that in this forum, but I would just want to listen. Like mm. I want to offer my ear. Okay. That. And, I, and find somebody that will just just listen. Because I, I think one of the things that really was missing for me, I did not feel understood or heard. Yeah. And I, I think when somebody just kind of accepted me the way I was, like really messed up. And, um, I'm, you know, I, I heard this, and I really like to say this, that, I'm so glad I didn't kill myself because I would have killed the wrong guy. Wow. I would have killed this guy. And I say, I don't know that that helps anyone in that position, but you are not what your disease or your mental health or your brain is saying. Yeah. And including me today, right? Yeah, sure. That I love that. um, I learned in recovery that I don't have to believe all my thoughts. And that was fascinating to me. The thoughts that I'm not good enough or that I'm better than you or yeah. worse than you. Like, all yeah. of, we don't have to believe everything that comes into our brain. And I think that's really a powerful awareness to be yeah. like that I'm better than those guys and not as good as them or I'm yeah. richer than, you know, just all this comparison that robs us of joy. And um, what I say to people that call me that are in sort of an active suicidal place well, first I'd get him to a hospital, right? But I would say, could you just wait a day, mm-hmm. have a sandwich, and wait a day? Yeah, you might just need some food because mm-hmm. that was sometimes like, yeah, you I were, hadn't eaten. You hadn't might eaten. need a glass of water. You might need a nap. I don't think you need like a deep mental health an- analysis all the time. I think right. it's we're missing some basic stuff just a lot of times. Needs. Like a f- food right. is like. I can get out of a funk when I eat sometimes. Yeah. Like, oh, I was just hungry or yeah. tired. 
And even what you just said earlier, even just, I just need someone to listen to oh, me. Please. I don't need advice. I just want you to listen. And I want to say, if you're not the one in the dark hole right now, because somebody is, yeah, to be the listener. Like offer yourself that. as a listener. Like if, if we sit, like imagine saving a life. And I, like I don't think that's hyperbole. I think that's what happened. The dude that really came into my life, like. Save your life. And I don't know that I would have, I mean. Yeah. I, I like to see it that way. Yeah. And he just listened and directed and I had surrendered and I, you know, was yeah. willing to follow some instruction. Um, it, it can be really dark and it can get better for sure. Yeah. Like I, I did learn in my sobriety that I do not suffer from clinical depression. For a guy that you could have diagnosed for years. Easily, right, yeah. That it's, I'm pouring a depressant on my brain. <laughs> right. Or a stimulant. Both things cause depression. Yeah. And so I stopped doing that and started living <laughs> a different life. And I'm not depressed. And I have some yeah. rough patches, but yeah. I'm not. And I really loved wearing that depression banner. I was as addicted to that. Yeah. It, it's uh, like I think there's a, a power in mental health sometimes of... Yeah. Well, I I leaned on my mental health diagnosis to excuse, yeah, some behaviors, behaviors, but yeah. also some sort of lack of of doing something with my life. Yeah, like I can't really go back to school. I'm depressed. I'm depressed. Can't do it. Which is, uh, I think, clinically we call that bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> I think <laughs> no, like that's just not true. Right? That's so perfect. It's a clinical term. No, that's a clinical term. We we say that a lot here. Uh, right. It's. <laughs> Although I believe it, right? And I want to honor that people believe that, but also to challenge some of the stuff we believe, man. Well, you know, and it reminds me, the most powerful force in the human psyche is the story we tell ourselves about ourselves. Right. And that was the story you were telling yourself, and it, it was comfortable. You even said, I was comfortable. I, oh, yeah. I, I was like in Familiar my, territory. Yeah. Wow, that's so well said, Mark. Thank you for sharing that. I think so many people can relate with what you just said. Well, and I, you know, and I do have the power to not change the events, but change the story. Like mm -hmm. my mom and that guy were not responsible for my alcoholism and poor, right. poor choices. And none of the events that happened in mm -hmm. that part of my life changed. My story of it changed. Yeah, which is something I've learned that I get to say. Uh, my son said something to me a couple years ago. I, I was like in bed reading at eight o'clock at night, which is what I do. He's like, Dad, I, I just think you think your life is so much better than it really is. <laughs> and I think he, he, it was a great compliment. I don't think he meant it like that. Right. He was like 15. I was like, dude, you go to bed early, you wake up early and like you pray and meditate. Like, what do you do? Like, you yeah. think that's the best. You I'm think like, that's good? For sure I do. <laughs> So it's just perception. Got to love kids, right? right. They just say and, it like it is, right? And he was right. I do think it's better than it really is. Yeah. I spent 40 years thinking it was worse than it really was. Yeah, yeah. It, my perspective changed. Yeah. And I stopped drinking and trying to kill myself and doing wow. all that crazy stuff. But yeah. um, I think we get amazing. to say how we see life. Yeah. That's I don't want to be a victim or a, a, a pawn of yeah. other people. I, I want to have some autonomy and some say in my life. Yeah. Wow. And I think that's a thing we all have. Yeah. That we forget sometimes. For sure. Yeah. Well, so why don't, why don't we tell our listeners, like, what are, what are you involved in? I mean, I know you're involved in a lot of things, but um, tell us kind of like what you're doing now 
specifically and then you know what are what, what future plans you may have and you may not have any future plans maybe yeah. you're just going to go where it goes but well, what, the what smart you... aleck guy wants to say i'm sitting on a couch talking to you right now <laughs> be smart aleck. Um, i don't care because i kind of am one um <laughs> so i work for a nonprofit that a buddy of mine is the ceo of and okay. um it's called persevere and it's designed to help inmates uh be employed. It's a okay. it's a software company that's created software to teach coding in prisons. Oh wow, cool! So that's the that's the hard skills and the soft skills are what I work on are the family reunification, okay, emotional wellness, wow. recovery, very cool. as they come out and even as they're in there. And COVID's affected our ability to kind of get in in into the prisons, but um, remotely, and we've got people coming out, and that's really that's growing beautifully. Wow, love and um, my private pra- I have a private practice that I just seem to keep growing a little bit. That's great. Um, and I like that. I do a lot of recovery work and couples work and trauma. And um, I like doing therapy and coaching kind of. That's awesome. And where I want to go, I want to, I want to I I sort of have a dream, my wife and I, and I got married a year ago, right about now. Congratulations. Um, to this woman I've dreamed of marrying for 30 years. <laughs> We, we dated a long time ago, and we both understood that we I needed to have a couple of kids and a couple of wives and for sure get sober. Get and, it figured and she, out. she grew up yeah. as well, and so right. <laughs> she is the light of my life. Like, we have this great life, and I'd like to kind of imagine, like, living on the road with her. Okay. And sort of vagabonding around and yeah, following could... the sun and... Um, living in your car again right no, well <laughs> you know a bigger car with some beds in it yeah and a maybe a shower and a uh, sh- showering's overrated for sure <laughs> um but <laughs> oh, so you know i'm 57 i probably have five or eight more good years of working yeah uh, 20 more years like if i want to yeah. i want to live a lot i like to i like to work out i like to yeah. love being a dad man i just yeah. my son's uh, heading to college in the fall oh cool and um he's lived with me full-time the last five years or so okay I'm just amazed at what a mature we kind of joke that he's more mature than I am he makes just continues to make good decisions and doesn't say (laughs) things that are really inappropriate a lot yeah (laughs) just a mature boy and I'm reminded like I raised him and and his mom as well yeah um but you know I don't even know I'm wide open I yeah cool I can't imagine I'm going to just live in Utah and and keep doing what I do I want to like to live in a I just I like to camp and like just be gone. Gotcha, I love unplug that. for a while. Cool, I love it. Well, if someone wanted to reach out to you, that's hearing your story today, and they just want to get to know more about you mm. or find more about your services you provide, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, that's interesting. I um so I have a sister that's like a, a really successful uh, coach, okay. therapist, and she is a great self promoter. Okay. She's on every social media. Right, easy to find Lisa Pepper. Uh huh. And she has pushed me to promote myself. I'm like, I don't really do that. I know. So I noticed. <laughs> it's funny when you said that because I'm like, I guess I could give my phone number, which is not, which I'm happy to do because, uh, or interestingly, email, now yeah. that I now that I'm sober, I do answer calls that I don't know the number from. I for sure didn't before. Yeah, you're like, oh, don't but answer I, that. Yeah. I imagine it's somebody that might want some help, and so yeah, whatever your email account, with, yeah. I'm comfortable with either, and I don't. Um, but email's great. So yeah, what's your email? Um, my email is m, mar m pepper at perseverenow.org. Okay. And 
I'd love to hear from people. I'd like yeah. to hear uh, if this was helpful. I'd really like to hear if it wasn't. Right. Because uh, I want to, I, I like feedback like yeah. that. And I want to hear. For sure. Um, if you need help and I can be helpful, I'd like to be. I'm a, I'm a licensed therapist. Yeah. Um, I'm also a, an AA guy that helps people in recovery. And I have a lot of resources that if it's not me, that could be somebody. Um, well, I'll tell I wanna, you. Man. You know, a message I'd like to say is you're not alone. Um, I remember hearing stories like mine when I was in that place, and I was like, I couldn't imagine somebody suffered like I did. Yeah. And it was helpful to, like, right. oh, there's other people that like are like so sad and so lonely all the time. Yeah. Now, I don't want to say that felt good, but it felt good to hear from somebody that could relate to that because I really thought I was alone. For sure. I thought I was like the king of depression, like nobody was more depressed than me. Turns yeah. out I'm kind of a garden variety depressed yeah. guy. Yeah, you weren't, you weren't that special. <laughs> I Sorry. was not that special for sure. Well, it's, it's good news. Right. Wow. Well, people would be very lucky and blessed to have you helping them, honestly. And Thank I, you, Tom. I love the way you live your life. The story has been very uh, heartwarming uh, and touching to me today. And thanks, I know our buddy. listeners probably feel the exact same way. And thanks for being vulnerable and sharing mm. some of these dark times with us but also the you know how things got turned around and all the great stuff you're doing today it's pretty amazing right on todd thank you very much it feels it's, it's pretty amazing yeah well thanks for taking some time out of your day to come sit with us it's and been my pleasure i can't wait for everyone to hear this and it was beautiful thanks a lot todd you bet and you. thanks to your listeners i really appreciate the time awesome well there you go guys another amazing person Mar mark pepper please reach out to him and if for some reason you can't track him down because he's kind of <laughs> likes to stay away, reach out to me and then I'll reach out to Mark. I'll help you out. <laughs> but uh, thank you guys. I love you. Thanks for all your support. Please share this, especially with those in your family, even extended family that you know is struggling, where you know they're in a dark spot. And, and you know, a lot of times we don't know what to say. Share this episode with them. That would be a great way to break the ice. And either they'll talk to you or they can reach out to me or especially reach out to Mark. So please do that. And again, Mark, you're amazing. And I'm so grateful that I know you. Thanks, Todd. I feel the same about you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys. Until next time. <laughs>